covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us as the Brewers are just completing 17 straight days without a day off. Going into an off day on Monday. They're going to get a few off days here over the next two weeks. Back-to-back Mondays and a Thursday thrown in there as well. Which is good. Craig Council said prior to the game on Sunday that over the course of the 17 days, just about everything that can happen to you during the course of a baseball season did happen to the Brewers. And I thought there was a lot of truth to that just in terms of injuries and everything else that was going on during the week. But the Brewers were able to finish off that 17 straight days with a couple wins against the Marlins. That ended a six-game losing streak. And now we'll see how the Brewers do as they come back home for series against both St. Louis and Atlanta this upcoming week. Our normal housekeeping items here at the top of the podcast. If you listen on Apple Podcast and want to subscribe and leave a ranking and review, that would be uh, fantastic. Also, if you want to get in contact with me, you can uh, tweet at me at Matt Pauly on air. And pretty good chance you are already aware of what I'm about to tell you about this past week, some uh, pretty big news in terms of Brewers Extra Innings podcasting because our post-game show, which is also Brewers Extra Innings, this is the podcast, and then we have the post-game show, same name just the podcast after uh, this one well the post game show that uh, myself along with uh, Jerry Augustine and or Craig Kishon do uh, that is now being podcasted on a daily basis as well hopefully everybody who has stayed up late after the game, continues to stay up late and listens to the show live, and we continue to get uh, the interaction uh, that we get. But for those of you who uh, don't really have that opportunity, you need to get to bed, you wake up early, yada, yada, yada. Now you got an opportunity to uh, listen to the post-game show. So if you go to bed after the game every day and uh, you hop in your car the next day and you want to listen to the previous night's post-game show, that's available for you on this same podcast feed. So uh, where you are right now is where you go to get the, uh, the daily, Brewers Extra Innings podcast now, which is being a podcasted. So good news all the way around. On the podcast this week, Vinny Rotino is set to uh, join us, one of the newest members of the team over at Bally Sports Wisconsin, uh, studio analyst, and uh, he's going to join us coming up in uh, just a few moments. Brewers had an interesting 17 straight days without the off day. And even this past week where the Brewers were coming off taking three of four against the Dodgers, and then they go into Philadelphia. Uh, After losing that last game against the Dodgers, they go into Philadelphia and get swept in a four-game series before losing the first game against Miami. So that turned into a six-game losing streak. And when when you break that down a little bit, you can kind of throw out the first game and the last game of the six-game losing streak. Those were very legitimate losses, 16-4 to in that uh, finale against the Dodgers last Sunday. Uh, that was the uh, that was the Bettinger game. And then you had a uh, loss against Miami 6-1 in the first game of that series. Outside of that, you had three one-run losses and one two-run loss. And it really struck me, especially with the back-to-back-to-back one-run losses, you go compare that to what happened in the Dodgers series. And I always think baseball is a sport that everything kind of evens out when all is said and done. So you look at that Dodgers series, and they won three straight one-run games. 2-1, 3-1, 6-5, and 11 innings. Any of those games could have easily turned into a loss. The 
the the Dodgers at any given moment were one big hit or one big play away from coming up with what was enough to win that game or maybe even that 11 inning game if you remember the Brewers won that 6-5 uh, where, where they were down and they were able to put it together there in the bottom of the 11th. Any of those games could have very easily turned into a loss and all of a sudden you're talking about a series against the Dodgers where you don't take three out of four. Maybe you split. Maybe they come up with that big hit twice and you lose three out of four. Maybe Maybe it's just a ball that finds its way through. It's not even that they played better. They just got a little luckier. And then you go into that Philly series, and you have a 4-3 loss and a 6-5 loss and a 5-4 loss, even the 2 nothing loss. It's obviously a competitive game. Now, the Brewers struggled offensively in a number of those games, and that's legitimate, and that's something that they need to continue to fix. And hopefully as they do get healthier, that's going to be something that does continue to get better. But they, just like I said about the Dodgers, the Dodgers could have easily won multiple games in that series. The Brewers could have done the same thing with the Phillies. Uh, each of those games, that are, I mean, even more so, even more so there because the Brewers had the tying run on in the ninth inning each of the first three games. They were right there. They were literally a hit away. So if you win one of those games, if you win two of those games – all of a sudden, it's not a six-game losing streak, and the narrative about the team is is different. And it's not that they even played that much better. It's that they happened to make a play or get a ball that found its way through. And so, again, I'm not making excuses for the team. I just that's That's how baseball is. Wins and losses obviously matter. I'm not trying to say that wins and losses don't matter. Wins and losses absolutely do matter. But the thing about a 162-game season and the randomness of every game, every game is random. I talk about this a lot. You know, People will be critical of decisions that are made. Just because a decision works doesn't mean it was the right decision, and just because a decision doesn't work doesn't mean it was the wrong decision. And I know that's a really weird thing to say because common sense, like people are yelling at me right now, who's this guy on the podcast talking about right decisions not working? Yeah, but if a decision works 70% of the time, it's, it's the right decision 100% of the time, even in the 30% of the time that it doesn't work. So I guess all I'm saying is you're, you're never the, – the truth is always somewhere in the middle. Are the Brewers as good as maybe you thought they were when they had taken three out of four against the Dodgers and it swept through the Padres and it won all these series against divisional teams? Maybe they're not that good. But are they as bad as you thought they were when they were losing game after game after game against Philadelphia and not coming up with a bad hit? No. like the, the truth is somewhere in between, and that's always something to remember. And that's why, really, when you evaluate a baseball team, you know, we never evaluate teams on like one game. Sometimes we evaluate in terms of series, and there's, there, there's some truth to that. But sometimes you need to take a step back even further when you evaluate a club, because that that Dodgers series and that Phillies series back to back is a is just an, an incredible example of the randomness of baseball, where the Brewers can win three. Uh, I guess one of the games against the Dodgers was a was a two run game. So two one run games and one two run game against the Dodgers, and then they lose three one run games and one two run game against the Phillies, where all of those games are kind of kind of toss ups. And at the end of the season, you need to win 
as many of those toss-up games as you kind as you can. You know, the old adage goes that every team in baseball wins 60 and every team in baseball loses 60, right? So there's 120 games. You know you're going to win 60. You know you're going to lose 60. And I know every once in a while there's a team that only wins 59 or 58 or occasionally there's a team that comes up with 103, 104 wins. But the, the, those are the outliers. Basically, it is a true statement that everyone wins 60 and every everybody loses 60. So you got those other 40 or so games, the other 42 games. Those are the games that make your season. And you need to win as many of those kind of games that are on the table as possible to have have a good year. You know, you, you would think that a 90-win season is a very good season in, in Major League Baseball. It's a very good season. If you win 90, there is a very, very good chance that you're going to be a postseason club. So if you're winning 90 games, what that means is of those 40 or so games, 42, but of the 40 or so games that are on the table to either win or lose, the games that really make the difference in your season, that you've won most of them, that you've won three-quarters of them. And I would argue that you know, the, the biggest bad thing about what happened during that Philadelphia series when you're, when you're losing those games is it feels like those were the games that were on the table. Those are, those are two or three or four of those 40 games that make the difference between a good season and a, and, and a bad season. So, yeah, they're important games. You don't want to lose games like that, but you're going to, and you take a step back, and again, the randomness of everything. So I don't know if any of that even makes sense on what I'm saying, but I think it is good sometimes to – look, uh, there are a lot of people who are who are just freaking out about this team and uh, flawed team and who they were when they were 17 and 10. That's not really who they are, and maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. Maybe they're not that good of a team to have the best record in the National League like they had when they were 17 and 10 – but the, the world's not over because you go on a six-game losing streak. Every, uh, maybe not every team goes on a six-game losing streak, but every team certainly goes through a period of time. And again, I think the, the important part about that six-game losing streak, it's how the team was playing. They got beat pretty good by the Dodgers, 16-4. They got beat pretty good by Miami in the first game of that series, 6-1. They didn't play that bad against the Phillies, especially in those first three games. The, the offense looking for a little bit more. You, you hope that it's going to come. The team batting average, I think it's, it's legitimate to be worried about it. It's, they're at 217. But really, when you, when you look at what went wrong over the course of the last week, the, the team batting actually, average actually it moved up a little bit during the week. They were getting 7, 8, 9, 10 hits a, a game. I don't know if they ever got to 10, but they, they were at 7, 8, 9 hits a game, which is a totally respectful. Respectful number to get to uh, during many of those games that they were losing, but they weren't hitting with runners in scoring position. Prior to that, when they were winning games, they actually they weren't getting as many hits. Their overall team batting average was lower. But when they had the opportunity, when they had the chance to uh, drive in runs, their hitting with runners in scoring position was really good. And Jerry Augustine and I talked a lot about this on the post game show this past week. Would you rather have a team with a high batting average but a low average hitting with runners in scoring position? Or would you ever rather have a team with a low team batting average but a high batting average when hitting with runners in scoring position? And I'll take the latter. You don't get as many opportunities to drive in runs, but when you do get those opportunities, you come through more often. I think that results in more wins. All right, that's uh, let's get to our uh, featured guest this week. He is... Uh, 
brand new to the television business, uh, didn't get done playing all that long ago, went into scouting for a little while, native of Wisconsin, uh, former Brewer, and now he is part of the Brewers television broadcast team with Bally Sports Wisconsin. He is one of the uh, two new studio analysts this year, along with uh, Tim Dillard. He is uh, Vinny Rotino. Certainly encourage you to uh, follow him on Twitter. He is uh, on Twitter at Vinny Rotino, V-I-N-N-Y-R-O-T-T-I-N-O. Uh, he's also part of the uh, Locked on Brewers uh, podcast as well. Vinny, thanks so much for uh, taking a little bit of time. Uh, how are you doing? Hey, man. Yeah, no, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Let's, um, uh, but we'll get into a lot of baseball stuff here in just a moment. We had you on our WTMJ uh, preseason show and kind of checked in before everything was getting started. But uh, here we are a month plus into the season. Uh, you were the studio analyst over the course of uh, this weekend as uh, the Brewers played the Marlins. Just as you've made this transition into media and into TV, uh, how have you been enjoying what you've been doing? I really enjoy it. Um, it's I got to say, there's quite a bit of uh, learning that you have to do. It's a pretty steep learning curve. Um, You know, I've been leaning on quite a few people in that process. Uh, Brian Anderson being one of them, Rock being one of them, really anyone that is willing to to answer some of the questions that I have. Sophia Minner has been great in answering questions that I have. As well as someone like Nick Green, who I played against, he does the pre- and post-game show for the Atlanta Braves. I think it's Valley Sports South Southeast. So, um, yeah, I've been leaning on a number of people to ask questions. It's not easy. They make it look really, really easy. BA and Rock are up there and just making it sound like, you know, they're just having a conversation. Um, and uh, it's been fun, though. I've, I've, I've been really enjoying it, and I'm hopefully uh, doing a pretty good job. We, I think we talked uh, the first time about how you're coming from the scouting world, so you can sit there and you can you can break down so many aspects of the game. But w- there's there's probably at times there's probably some areas where you could even go too deep on it, where you might be not not talking over the heads of people, but just going deeper than maybe you need to. Has that been a, a challenge for you at all? Because I know you view the game in one way, yet you probably need to pick and choose what you really touch on when you're doing the studio work. To find that sweet, you hit it right on the head, Matt. To find that sweet spot is a fine line between too much, too deep, get it in the weeds too deep. And then also you need to bring, and, and I want to bring interesting insights to the fan base. Um, you know, I, 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 I do err on the side of bringing too much and getting into the weeds too much. Um, I think that, I don't know why. I, I just enjoy talking so much about the game, and I enjoy getting into the weeds and getting into the details. Um, and if someone, you know, there, there's people giving me feedback that, that are telling me, hey, that's too much or that's, you know, that was good. So I'm listening to that, and it's, it's, it's a little bit of a, an industry, and you know as well as anybody, it's an industry of it's, it's, it's art. There's not a science to this. It's very subjective. And you listen to people who are really good at it, like yourself. I listen to you, and I, I really take a lot from your show as well. And you try and, um, you know, gain some level of expertise around how other people are doing it and how, how other people and how fans and, and, and listeners and viewers seem to like it or don't like it. So you just kind of tweak things and a lot of trial and error, i got to be honest. The team just wrapped up a road trip, and in the middle of that uh, trip, they they had a what turned into a six-game losing streak. Started with that final loss uh, on the homestand. From a fan perspective, I, I heard it, I saw it on the text line every night. 
people are freaking out about a six-game losing streak. In the grand scheme of things, a six-game losing streak in the middle of a 162-game season is not the end of the world. But when you're right in the middle of it, it feels really tough. As a player, when you're going through that, what does it feel like? Is it, it do you, do you just accept it as this is part of baseball and it's a long season and, and this will end, or do you start to press a little bit? You wouldn't be human if you didn't start to press a little bit. Um, what happens is, especially with what was happening on the, on that particular losing streak, every losing streak and every winning streak is different, right? So if you're losing a bunch of one-run games like they were in Philadelphia, you feel a little snake bit. And just because they weren't able to execute and get that big hit late, um, or really even get a big hit early and, and just kind of get a nice lead or um, you know drive a ball in the gap with the bases. Well, I, I know they were missing that big key hit for a while, and what was happening is you could feel it when you're watching the team. You could, you could feel that these guys were, were aware of that they were missing that piece. And then they would start to press a little bit. You would see that they would expand the zone. You would see the bat tighten up a little bit, just a little bit late on a, a, a heater right down the middle, a hittable, a hittable pitch. Those kinds of things are indicators that the team is pressing a little bit. And again, it's natural to do that. Um, I think um, how to get out of it, you simply don't try not to do anything different. Easier said than done. The encouraging thing about the Brewers and that losing streak was that they were playing pretty good baseball, right? They were just losing one run games. They weren't coming with a big hit. It would be different if their starting pitching or their bullpen was just atrocious, couldn't get an out. There was nobody, you know, waiting in the wings in AAA or something to, to help them out. There was quality at bats. There was really quality. Um, uh, There's quality innings out of their pitching staff. So it was encouraging. It almost felt like, yeah, it's a six-game losing. To me, anyway, it felt like six-game losing streak, but this team is really good just because of their pitching and their defense, and the bats will come around. I feel like that theme has been pretty consistent among you know the team and the feeling around the team this entire time, even, even during that losing streak. I always laugh in, in periods of time like those because – those were those one-run losses, and I think Craig Council said it after a game one day that basically each day, you know, they're they're one hit or they're one really good defensive play away from winning those games. And you've got people freaking out about a six-game losing streak, but in reality, they could have won a game or two simply with a hit that got through at some point, or just a, you know, they, it doesn't mean they would have been playing better baseball. It means a ball off the bat might have had eyes, and it might have resulted in a run scoring. So I know the I know at the end of the day you, you worry about wins and losses, but in a 162 game season, it's also about how the team is playing and all that other stuff's going to kind of even out. And if you lose a bunch of games where you were basically one hit away from winning, you're going to win some of those games later, and maybe you already did win some of those games uh, in that Dodgers series when you came up with hit. But baseball is a funny game where it all evens out at the end of the year. That's exactly right, Matt. And you hit it on the head. I think the idea is that um, those, those hits. So, for example, Luke Maley could have could have driven that ball. He hit a, a missile right right at the center fielder today, Magnier Sierra, and and it was just right at him with the bases loaded. So. If that hit gets down, or if it gets over his head, or if it's a couple of feet or a couple of degrees to the left or to the right, I mean that's a, a base clearing triple and or double. Mailey's not going to hit a triple, but base clearing double um, that scores a bunch of runs, and then the, the whole dugout can say, "Oh yeah, 
I remember what it's like to get a, you know, this team remembers what it's like to get a big hit with the bases loaded. And, and, and everyone just kind of takes a breath and just goes about their business. And I think, I think this team, it, 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 I, I'm very, very encouraged by the fact that they were in the middle of a six game losing streak. And you never, and with all these guys out, this is the other thing, all these guys out on the disabled list. And I didn't feel a whole lot of panic from Craig Council, from, you know, when you look in the dugout at Chris Hook or, or Andy Haynes, Andy Haynes is a really good, really smart hitting coach. And, and, and hitting in general in baseball is just way down. And you don't ever, I never get a sense of panic from him, from the dugout. He always seems like he, he's got a plan for these guys. They're going to figure it out. He's very encouraging, very positive. Um, and, and I don't know. I just, I, I really think that this team is, is, poised for something special just because I liked what happened. Just kind of the, the, the feel in that dugout. They, they lost six in a row, actually lost a pretty ugly, uglier one, uglier than the Philly game. The first one in my, in Miami. And then they came back and won two in a, in a, and both were, were closer games. And this last one today on Sunday was really a, a nail biter and went into extras. So the fact that they can come away with that, that road series, uh, road trip with two wins right at the tail end is huge for this team. I should know this. I think I've talked to you about this before, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. Was Haynes your manager when you were at AAA in the, with the Marlins, or did you miss him? Yeah, he was my manager. AAA 2015. He was he was phenomenal. He is one of the smarter baseball guys in the entire game. Dude is so passionate about the game. He's so smart. He, there's nothing, there's no stone he won't turn over to try and figure something out for his players. He's He's phenomenal. He's a leader, too. Someday he'll, he'll get a chance to manage. I, I love his story, too, because, I mean, I, I think he and I crossed paths the first time when I was doing independent league baseball in the Frontier League. I think he was oh. managing maybe at Windy City, if I remember correctly. And then we crossed paths again when I was doing AAA baseball and he was in New Orleans and now he's with the... But that's a... It's a fantastic story. You talk about a guy who... You talk about paying your dues. You're, you're And he was doing... He was even doing some like summer collegiate ball. I don't have his bio in front of me, but if there's if there's anybody out there who has grinded his way to where it is right now, it's Andy Haynes. A hundred percent. Andy Haynes is a special special baseball guy, and he just he just has a way to connect with his players. Um, players know from the get go. Look, players are very intuitive. They know right from the get go as soon as you meet a coach in your career whether or not he's got your best interest in mind, if he can help you, if he, if he has, um, what is the, you know, what am I trying to say? If he has, if he, if he wants to help you be better and, and um, isn't in it for himself, let's just say that there's, there's a handful of coaches in, in professional baseball and even in, in the major league somewhere out there, I'm sure that are in it for themselves and players can sniff that out within five seconds. The other thing that they can sniff out in five seconds is the opposite. Mandy's on the opposite end of that spectrum. And as soon as you sense that from, from a guy like Andy Haynes, you get immediate buy-in and you trust that guy and you understand that this guy's trying to help me. And that's what he, he does. That's what he brings to the table. Is it easy, and whether it's a hitting coach, whether it's a player, whatever it might be, is it easy or is it really a challenge to kind of block the outside noise? If you're a manager of a major league baseball club, you know there's going to be a contingent of people that just don't like you for 
for whatever reason. I get text messages on the postgame show all the time about how bad of a manager Craig Council is, which I think is a ridiculous statement, but there's just people out there. And again, you're a major league manager. That, that's part of the gig. But when you're talking about players, when you're talking about you know coaches on a staff, I feel like it's not always part of the gig. More often than not, you just kind of want to – you know not really be seen or heard from and just go about it and do your work every day. But you know, there's a lot of social media chatter. People are being very – people who, think, who I don't think completely understand what a hitting coach actually does are, are you know, Andy Haynes needs to be fired and things like that. How does somebody in that type of position block out all that noise that is out there? If anyone can do it, it can be, it's Andy. Um, because I would not be able to do it. Um, I, I think I think you have to be wired in a way where all you care about is, is literally helping your team win. All he wants to do is win a World Series, and how he's going to accomplish that is help players accomplish their goals and help them become better hitters. And that in turn helps the team, which in turn re- equates into a World Series at, at some point, right? So that's all Andy Ains cares about. It takes a special person. Um, I know that. Um, I know Andy reads a lot of books, a lot of leadership books. He, he, he's one of he's a one percenter, right? He, he's one of those, these guys that is going to do anything and everything to be successful. Um, um, but but he, but his success is not the the forefront in the forefront of his mind. He uh, his, his main goal is to help the team, help help his players hit, and help them navigate through the these really difficult times of what it takes to hit. Let's not forget how hard it is to hit at the end of the day. Um, my goodness, OPS I think is seven hundred one league league wide OPS after one month mm-hmm. uh, after a month and what six weeks of I think we play what six weeks at this point five weeks of baseball something like that seven hundred one across the league in two thousand nineteen last full season seven fifty eight or something around there seven sixty that's significant that's sixty points of OPS which which means Pitchers are getting much better. They're understanding what pitches they can throw to certain hitters, how to refine their pitches in these pitching labs that every, every organization has. Velocities are way up. Don't get me on my soapbox about the, about the vertical strike zone. Get me on the show another time. We'll talk, we'll talk for an hour about how it's a vertical strike zone now. When you watch a game back in the, in the early, mid, late 90s, whatever, with Greg Maddox was, was getting six, seven inches outside, I love that, right? Yeah. Pitchers would start creeping out further and further and further because Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin and these guys earned that strike. And um, and but the ball at the belt was a ball, which is interesting. Now it's completely the opposite. If you look at the strike zone from the side, you can't really tell on TV from the side. Some of these balls that are crossing at the top of the letters are being called strikes. So you got ninety nine at the top of the zone which is a very easy spot to hit. All you got to do is throw it as hard as you can, right? So these guys are throwing 97, 99 top of the zone. They're flipping curveballs in and sliders at the top of the zone, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's and then they're then they're throwing the nasty curveball and slider below the zone. So you got to cover 99 at the top of the zone, which is extremely hard to do. You have to like change your swing to get there. And then you got to cover below. It's extremely difficult to hit right now. Um I do think the strike zone is, is too vertical. I, I think I would love to go back to the to give a few inches off off the outer parts of the plate because that brings pitchability back into play too, right? It brings those um, Brett Andersons are a lot more valuable, those types, right? The guys that can really hit spots. And you're always going to have power pitching. 
I just think power pitching is it's just too many strikeouts. You know, so anyway, I'm out, I'm on my soapbox right now, Matt, and uh, but we can talk about this. No, but you're right because times. well, let me add yeah. one thing to that because the other thing is it does uh, if if you widen the zone a little bit, you force hitters to swing the bat more, and I feel exactly. like I, I, I was never a, I wasn't a major league play, baseball player, Vinny. You were, so you can tell me if I'm wrong on this. I feel like there's more comfort in swinging the bat at balls that are a little bit more outside than it is at swinging high. It's tough to swing high it is really hard to swing high I, I i don't know how to because it look it doesn't look that hard on television right they've got that box um the balls don't look that high when they cross when you're looking at it from the center field camera they don't look that high because the, the catchers are, are really skilled at pulling them down too and deceiving the umpire so when you look at it from the side and, and i and i challenge anyone listening trying to just stand there, act like you're hitting, and then really try and hit that pitch at the top of the zone, kind of motion like that. You really have to kind of tomahawk that ball. And that's really changing your swing is what mm-hmm. it's doing. And I, I talked to Chris Wood when I was scouting for the Rangers. I talked to Chris Woodward, the manager, um, and Woody said that, I said, I, I said, this game is so much different from just a few years ago when I retired. And he's like, yeah, it is. He goes, hitters have to have two different swings now. They have to have the swing for the fastball at the top of the zone, and then they have to have one for a swing at the at the lower part of the zone. That's why you see so many pitchers like Lance Lynn and and uh, Brandon Woodruff have so much success because they can throw both the two seamer, the one that sinks down, and the four seamer, the one that goes up. So hitters really have to pick up or down. Um, but anyway, I, I, I yeah, I think um, the other the other piece of that is if we if, if you widen the strike zone a little bit. And you gotta see, you gotta, you, you can't evaluate umpires as hard as they do. They get dinged so much for for calling a ball a strike, right? So, so we're talking changing changing a lot of things around right now. But in my in my fantasy land, that's what I would do. I would I would stop judging, let the umpires be subjective with the strike zone, but have them be consistent. It's no different than a pass interference call, right? That that gets called. That's a subjective call. Um, I, I know a lot of people will probably disagree with me that the strike, I just suggested that the strike zone should be a little bit subjective. I, and I kind of do. It, I love that part of the, the game. The umpires, pitchers and catchers can earn a strike if they really, you know, are commanding the zone. Um, but I hate the high strike. I, I just hate it. And it, I think it's, I think it's really messing with hitting and, and there is, it's a big reason why, uh, there's so many strikeouts right now. Again, the other part of that is, I know we're planning to talk about this, but I think it's an interesting conversation. Uh, when yeah. when you've got that subjective strike zone, you've got that opportunity. If you're a team that communicates well, if you're a team that's got some really intelligent guys at the top of the order, you, you, you walk back into the dugout after the first inning and you say, hey, boys, that outside pitch is a strike today. Be swinging. You know, the, that, can, that can be an advantage Absolutely. as well as you do set up, uh, as you get an understanding of what the strike zone is going to be that day. Yeah, we used to get a scouting report. Here, here's the interesting thing, Matt. We used to get a scouting report on the umpire that night. This guy is the is the top five in the league for calling the low and away strike, right? That's what we used to get. And so then, in the back of your mind, you would kind of be aware of where he's calling it. And I mean, look, you're going to get bad calls at times as a hitter, and it's and it's very very frustrating. But at the same time, 
sometimes you look at those bad calls that were a, a ball that was called a strike on you and you're walking back to the dugout. And then you look on video and be like, man, you know what, that was too close to take. And he's been calling that all night. And so um, there's that gamesmanship. There's that strategy. Absolutely. I think it's part of the game. It's been part of the game for 100 years. Again, it's a, a moot point. However, if they continue to call that ball at the, at the top of the letters, because guys are just going to exploit that, and it's just too, just too hard to hit. Back in the day, a guy would elevate on you, and you'd chase, and then you realize, I oh, see it down, see it down. And then the next one he'd elevate on you was a ball, because anything above the belt was called a ball. It was, it was great. But then, ball away, a couple inches outside, you better be protecting that one. Um, and like you said, you get more weak contact. I think, I think fans want to see defense, right? They want to see those ground balls, those weak contact ground balls where you see Luis Urias make a great play or Colt Wong make a great play. Or try, you know, I think that's exciting. Um, and even the little flares in the, in the outfield that get, you know, outfielders come in hard and die. But I just think more balls need to be in play, and that would be a way to do it. Last thing for you, then. I hate talking about injuries. Every team deals with injuries, and I don't think they should be used as an excuse. That being said, the the obscene number of injuries that the Brewers have experienced this year, it's gotten to a point where you have to talk about it. It is a it is a it's not the standard thing. It's not what every team deals with at any given moment. But the team is getting healthier. We saw Brett Anderson uh, pitch on Sunday. Manny Pena's back. Corbin Burns is going to throw a bullpen on Monday. He'll be back. Who knows? He might start that last game of the St. Louis series. Um, you're going to have Omar Nervaez in all likelihood back this week. The the big question mark remains Christian Yelich. And bluntly, I'd be surprised if we see him back in the month of May. I hope I'm wrong on that. But if all those other guys, if you're able to have Nervaez back in there, if your rotation is back to what it was before, all of a sudden, doesn't this team get to a point where they can – Kind of, I, I still like. I still feel like they're still trying to figure out who they are because there's been so little amount of time where they've had mostly their entire team available to use. I agree with you 100. percent I think that the fact that there's so many guys out offensively, I don't think they knew, know who they are offensively. I think they're figuring them figuring themselves out who they are on the pitching side of the ball. In fact, I think guys are stepping up. I think Brad Boxberger. And um, and Drew Rasmussen are are, are I, I, that that was the biggest question mark for me going into the season was the middle relief and these guys are stepping up those two guys and then Brent Suter it sounds like just a cramp coming back now you got three legit guys that can throw in the middle to go along with very legit pieces at the back end JP Fires and Devin Williams and Josh Hader so now you have a complete pitching staff in my opinion. Um, to go along with those great stars. The fact that Corbin Burns is coming back in all likelihood, like you said, possibly by the end of the St. Louis series, don't want to speculate, but they're, they're starting pitching. How good has Adrian Hauser been? So I, I do think that um, the, the pitching staff has really kind of found its identity as being a pretty dominant staff and everyone's kind of figuring out their roles. I do think on the offensive, I agree with the offensive side of the ball is, tougher to, to really even talk about like who are they um i know we have just like you said because of the injuries everyone's just been been dinged um and and, and with yelich not really knowing no one knows when he's coming back you know it's just a weird situation with his back um but guys are stepping up tyrone taylor my goodness was i wrong on him i, I was right on every other player i scouted not that's a complete lie 
Um, but Daryl Taylor, my goodness, I was wrong on him. He's improved. He's a, he's a real um, valuable player to that offense. And then you have Avi Garcia. He's figuring stuff out. Um, and then Colton Wong, he's been, he's been tremendous. Um, and then Locaine, he's shown flashes of being um, the old Locaine. Um, and then, and then JBJ is going to get, but like you said, they haven't really shown it all together as one unit. Um, I think Craig council, I just done a phenomenal job of trying to piece it together to get some wins and scrape across runs until they figure it out. Um, but I agree with you. Um, but again, I'm not real concerned about when that's going to come. I, their pitching has been so phenomenal. I think it gives them a little bit of, uh, of grace period to figure that out on the offensive side of the ball. Vinny, uh, you're doing great work. It's fun to see everything you do on Bally Sports Wisconsin. You're also part of the uh, the Locked On Brewers podcast. Give a uh, we're we are not in a competitive mode when it comes to other Brewers podcasts. We want people to listen to everything. So uh, give a plug for uh, what you got going on there. Oh, cool. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, uh, Jake. Jake has been great. Jake Mastriani. He's um, He's the host of the show. He brought me on a few months ago, um, really just to kind of, at first, just to kind of, I really didn't know what to expect on the broadcast side of things, just to get some reps on talking about the, the Brewers and how to really talk about baseball, because I'm just coming from the clubhouse, right? So he's been great. He's been helping. Um, he's got really good insights on, um, it's, a, it's a daily podcast, uh, 20 to twenty to 30 minutes, typically, just talk, talking about the game from that day and keys to the game and what, uh, what to expect going forward. So it's been great to listen. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've, I've enjoyed being part of that. Great stuff. Appreciate the time. Uh, you are super busy. You have a family. You are doing this on the evening of mother's day after working all weekend, uh, covering, uh, the game. So thanks so much for doing this and, uh, we'll get you on again real soon. If you're all right with it. Anytime, Matt. Appreciate it. That's Vinny Rotino joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Brewers getting set for a uh, three-game series against St. Louis and then a three-game series against Atlanta coming up over the next week. They get the off day on Monday, a much, much, much needed off day uh, on Monday after 17 straight days without an off day. So uh, that is going to be something that is good for this club and obviously something that is very much needed for this club uh, and then they will open up that series against St. Louis coming up on Tuesday. Pitching matchup Freddie Peralta goes against uh, Kwon Yun Kim in game number one on Tuesday. Wednesday it's going to be Brandon Woodruff on the mound against John Gant and then in the series finale on Thursday the Brewers have that listed as a TBA. Now there is a chance that that could be Corbin Burns starting in that game. Burns is going to throw a bullpen on Monday so that that would put if the bullpen goes well that would put him right on schedule coming out of a bullpen session to start that game on uh Thursday now if they are not comfortable with him in that point. If maybe they want to get another bullpen session in with him, perhaps on maybe even Wednesday, What with that off day on Monday, what that allows you to do is you could then put pitch uh, Adrian Hauser, say, on Thursday, and you could start Burns on Friday, or you could start Hauser on Thursday and Anderson on Friday, and that could allow you to pitch Burns on Saturday. So I would think they'll kind of figure out what they want to do with Burns, see what kind of shape he is in, how his arm is doing uh, when he 
throws the bullpen session on Monday, and that they'll figure things out from there. Certainly a possibility that you see Burns on Thursday. I think at the absolute latest, you would see Burns on Saturday. Uh, and with the off days, they can kind of go back to the five-man rotation here for a little bit. Off on Monday, off the Monday after that, off the Thursday after that. So one or two guys would have to pitch on the standard four days rest if they stick with a five-man rotation. But then you have that next off day and another off day. So uh, it would just be a couple guys and then everybody's going to get a couple days extra of rest because that next week before you go into another period where you've got an extended period without an off day they will go from uh, that next Friday what is that Friday May 21st is that right yeah May 21st on the road against Cincinnati and then you don't have another off day until Wednesday June 2nd so that's 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. That's 12 days. So it's not 17 days, but it's 12 days without an off day. And at that point, they probably go into a six-man rotation again, whether it's an Eric Lauer or Josh Lindblom or even uh, throwing a bullpen day a couple times with uh, Brent Suter, whatever they want to do. But they're in, they've got some flexibility right now. They're getting healthy. Omar Nervaya is expected to be activated at some point this week. Uh, also, uh, you just saw Brett Anderson get activated. You saw Manny Pena get activated. The only guy that there's really not much of a time line on at this point is uh, Christian Yelich, which we really didn't talk about much here uh, on the podcast, but uh, Yelich should be back. Who knows? Don't know. Uh, yeah, that's that's a good question, and at this point, it's more about trying to find a way to make sure he's healthy when he's back and can play out the rest of the season and not let this be something that he's continuing to deal with to a point where it's this much time uh, away from the game. It, get it back to a point where it's a weekend here. It's a series here. It's a, it's a week there, but not not weeks, maybe even months, basically, where he can't play. So we'll see how that goes and, and more about Yelich in, in future episodes as we learn more. All right. Uh, thanks to uh, Vinny Rotino for joining us. That was a fun conversation. Thanks to you for being tuned in. And we'll talk to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.